true story. Five strangers living in a house and having their lives taken to find out what happens when people stop being polite and start being real. The, the real, real world, Daniel Plan style. Hey, uh, Daniel, can I get you something? Um, uh, yeah, this, one, this one is raspberry chocolate. I've got the, the peach over there. It's washed? Did you guys wash this? Friends? I don't need friends. I mean, look at the way Scott handed Daniel that white peach. That's just weird. I'm my own friend. Hey, you, you guys are okay? Uh, whatever, whatever you want. Help, help yourselves. You know, guys, I really feel like we've made some huge steps in this past few weeks. Uh, you know, we're working out better, uh, we're eating a little bit healthier, um, and I really feel like we, we've grown together a lot. Daniel, you've really been like a brother, the brother I've never had. And I really appreciate you holding me accountable. Yeah. You've changed me in ways that I can't even You've taken me to places that I thought I would never be able to go. And I think about you all the time, day and night. And I see your beautiful, smiling face. And you're always looking at me and you're encouraging me. You say, you, you over there, Scott, you can go and you can do it. And you're going to go places and you're never going to go back to that old lifestyle. And I just want to say I appreciate you, man. You've done a lot of good stuff for me, and I'll never forget it. We have a bond, a bond that's going to last. Thanks. Thanks, man. No, no, no. Thank you. You, you can believe me. You make me the happiest person alive. Without you, I don't know where I'll be. We've grown a lot these past couple weeks. You, you're everything to me. You know, we made some, some big gains together. We had a couple awkward years in high school where I didn't know what was going on. You know, things are changing. But you know, I feel like once we discovered protein and you know, you know, and you know, lateral put downs, I feel, like we made a huge step in our relationship, you know? I just feel like we're more together in one. I appreciate your friendship through this journey. Welcome to the fifth installment in the Daniel Plan, and it is so good. Every time I come up here, I say it's so good to see you. But today, it is really so good to see you. And I hope that you feel the same way about seeing me, because I been, haven't been here for the past few weeks, and I uh, haven't, uh, uh, haven't given a talk up here for, it's been actually one month right now. But I am back today, and I was saying earlier is that sometimes when you stay quiet for a little bit too long, then stuff comes out and starts exploding. So today's going to be one of those days for me today. So I'm going to ask your, ask your forgiveness in advance, and I'm telling you that today, We've been talking in this Daniel plan, for those who are just joining us, we've been talking about God's prescription for our health. 
and living a healthy lifestyle all around. And we talked about the five essentials of the Daniel plan. We talked about food, talked about fitness, we talked about focus, talked about friends, and then I'm going to speak about the subject that I am dying to speak about, that I'm about to explode to speak about. We're going to talk about the essential of faith today, and we're going to talk about the God factor in the Daniel plan and where God fits into this whole picture. Asking me to speak about faith, like there's some subjects that I don't need to prepare notes on. There's some subjects that I just feel so passionately about. If you bring a dentist, you don't need to ask him to, to, to prepare when you talk about the dangers of candy. You bring a doctor, a cardiologist, you talk about exercise all day and all night. Bring a stewardess, a flight attendant, you talk about the importance of sticking the thing all the way under the seat in front of you and not all those things. Well, that's the way I feel about the subject today because we're going to talk about today is why we need faith and why God will never bless our lives until our lives can be characterized by the one word faith. So forget about all the stuff that you see and that you heard talking about before. I'm going to give you a title. I could have titled today's talk, How to be Blessed by God, How to be Used by God, How that the Power of God would be mighty in your life. That's a topic I'm going to talk about here today. And I'm speaking because what I've seen with my own two eyes is this, that God will bless all kinds of different kinds of people. Like you can't say God's blessing is upon this group or upon this group. Different ethnicities doesn't matter. Different backgrounds doesn't matter. Different ways of, of, of thinking, different ways of going through life doesn't matter. But there is one common denominator. There is one factor that is in common for every single person whom God has blessed mightily and used powerfully in life. And that one common denominator is you find people who trust in God and people who are willing to take steps of faith that put their 100% trust in God and their belief in God. And I'm telling you, if you find people who are willing to trust God, the power of God will pour out in their lives. You've never seen it before. Here's the verse that we're going to talk about here today. And this is, for me, personally, one of the scariest verses in the Bible. That when I see this verse, I get scared. Matthew chapter 13, verse 58. One time Jesus is walking down uh, a path with some of his disciples. And Jesus had done all these miracles over here in this city, and all these miracles in this city, and all these miracles in this city. And then they passed by this city. And they said, how come there was no miracles in this city? And the Bible says this. It says, now he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. Let's read that verse together because that's a powerful one. All together. Now he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. To me, this is the scariest verse in the Bible. You know why? Because I don't want to get up to heaven one day. All right? And we're all going to get up to heaven. We're going to say, God, we love you, and we know you love us. But let me ask you a question. How come you never worked in that situation that I prayed so hard for? You say, easy. I did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief, because of your unbelief. God, how come you didn't work in my church? Because there was no belief in your church. God, how come you didn't work in my relationships, in my family, in my household? Easy. Because I looked down, and I didn't see any faith down there. I didn't see any belief. I saw people who said, we believe in one God, God the Father, the Pentecostal. But when I opened up their hearts, I saw they didn't believe in anything. And I'm dying. Here I am with, like, I have so much blessing and so much power and so much miracles. I'm just trying to throw it in. I'm just looking for someone. Just hold up a cup of faith. Just give me a little cup, and I'll fill it up. And some people bring this much faith, and God gives this much power. And some people come with this much faith, and God gives this much power. I want the opposite to be my verse. I want to go up to heaven, 
and I want everyone, and I, let's say heaven or people look around and say, how come God is blessing Father Anthony's family so much? Why? He did many mighty works there because of his belief. How come God is blessing that church so much? He did many mighty works there because of their belief. How come God is blessing those children so much? He did many mighty works there because of their parents' belief so much. I want the inverse to be true about my life, and I hope that you want the same. So our message here for today is how to get to that point. How to get more of God's power in my life. You ever feel like you're trying to do a God-sized mission or task with a human-sized energy source? Like you're trying to, to go across the Atlantic and all you got is an oar. You got a rowboat with an oar. This is how many people feel. And this is why, I'll tell you how I know if you feel that way. I come to you and say, hey, how's it going? Uh, tired. Last time you were tired. You're tired again this time? Always tired. How's that stress thing? Oh, worse than ever. How can it be worse? Every time I see you, it's always more stressed than ever. Always stressed. Always tired. Always overwhelmed. Always feeling like you can't. Always feeling like you don't have enough energy to get through or enough power to get through. Well, I'm telling you today is what you need to listen to. Because what we're going to talk about today is how to tap into God's power source for our lives. Imagine driving, okay, different example, driving across the country, all right, and you have your car. You got your little, you know, you got your Prius, all right, and you're all packed up with your Prius, and you say, I'm making the whole way with a Prius. I got a Prius, so I'm making fun of myself, not making fun of anyone else, okay? And I'm making the whole way with my Prius, my 52.3 mile per gallon Prius. And I'm telling you, that Prius, man, that, that Prius, I love the Prius, all right, because that sucker goes and goes and goes, and it... Put, you know what I mean? It sputters along the way, and you push it on the floor, and it sputters, sputters, sputter. But there's going to come a time where that pre, even the Prius is going to run out of gas. Even the Prius is going to run out of gas. And that's how many of us are living our lives. We're trying to do something big, and we eventually, we do it for the short term, but then we run out of gas. We're too tired. We get overwhelmed, and then we quit. And we go back here. And then we go back to church, and someone fires up and say, okay, and I'm going to go this time, and I'm going to go, and I'm going to go. And then we get about here, and we say, I ran out of gas, and we stop. Well, now... I'm saying we're driving all the way across the country. But behind us, we're still being our little Prius because that's how we're a little Prius. But behind us, it's going to be a big old tanker, like them Exxon, Mobile, like big gas tankers going to be behind us. And anytime we get tired, we're not going to wait for it to run out. We're going to pull over, and it's going to fill us up. And we're going to keep on driving, it's going to fill us up. And we're going to go all the way across the country, all the way through this life, and into the next one, how to tap into God's power for our lives. That's our message here for today. We're talking about this Daniel plan thing. Daniel plan, ever since we started talking about it, as you see, it's a major shift in lifestyle. It's not easy. It is easy in the short term to do it. And it is easy when we're in the life groups and we're excited and we're focused on this. But long term, any kind of change, not just Daniel plan, but any kind of lifestyle change long term, if you don't know how to tap into God's power, you're not going to make it. You'll make it short term. And I don't want to say a show of hands, how many people have made short term changes Many times in their lives, how many people have gotten healthy many times in the short term? How many people have stopped their bad habit many times in the short term? How many people have been able to start a new positive habit many times in the short term? We're not trying to short-term change here. For long-term change, we need a power source that's much bigger than ourselves. So that's our topic here today, how to tap into God's power. I have four ways that we are going to practice these four ways. And I promise you, promise you, promise you. You take these four practices and you start plugging them 
plug and play, and you start practicing these four things, I promise you, I'm not saying I think, I'm saying I promise you, we're going to come together next year, and you're going to see that God worked mightily in your life. Not next week. That's the important part with what I'm going to say, and I'm going to talk about how not short term. But I'm saying if you practice these principles of a life of faith, then you will not, it will, God's promises will never come back to you void. You will never hold up your end of the promise, and God will not hold up his end. We're going to practice these four things, and we're going to look back on this day. We're going to look back on this day for some of us in our lives and say, this is the day that we connected to that power source, and life hadn't been the same ever since. Number one, number one, faith always begins with believing God's dream for my life. Faith begins with believing God's dream for my life. The starting point of any journey is declaring the destination. Nothing ever happened in life until someone dreamed, or dreamt I should say, and said, I want to accomplish that. Bible says it this way in Proverbs 29 verse 18. The Bible says where there is no vision, the people perish. Take this verse and apply it to every aspect of your life. Where there is no vision for your life, your life will perish. will amount to nothing. It will just kind of sit there, rot away, waste away, and come to nothing. If you don't have a vision for your life, where did you want to end up? They say, you, uh, wherever you aim for, you hit it every time. If you aim for nothing, you hit it every time. Where there's no vision, the people perish. Do you have a vision for your marriage? Where do you want your marriage to be five years from now? Ten years from now. No vision, marriage will perish. I promise you. Where you have a vision for your family, for your friendships. Where do you want your friendships to be? You just want to have, you want to have no vision for your friendships, always superficial, then I promise you, you'll always be superficial in your friendships. For our church. A wise man once said, for this verse, where there's no vision, people perish. He said, where the church has no vision, the people go to another parish. <laughs> and I believe it. What's the vision for the parish? What's the vision for the church? If the church says, uh, we're a church... And, you know, we're just going to kind of get together on Sunday and do stuff. Is there no vision for the church? Then the church will perish like anything else in life. Nothing happens in life until someone says, like Martin Luther King said, I have a dream. Right? The beginning of so many things in this country, because one man stood up and said, I have a dream. That one day, and that one day was very, very, very far. All right? And we say, we can even say a lot of ways we didn't accomplish that dream. But because someone threw a dart way up there or drew a target. Then all of a sudden, we have something to work towards. Same thing with the uh, same era. John F. Kennedy. Didn't he do that with a man on the moon? People are working, and one day, man, one day, and he said, no, no, no. By the end of this year, we're going to put a man on that moon. And he drew the target up there, and he gave him a deadline. He said, we're going to get there. And then you know what? They accomplished it. Why? Because where there's a vision, stuff happens. Where there's no vision, people perish and people die. Now, let me go ahead and address those who are very level-headed and very practical when I'm talking about myself more than anyone else, and very logical and reasonable in this room, and say, you know what? We shouldn't have our head in the clouds. We shouldn't always be dreaming and always be talking big things. We need to be realistic, and we need to make sure that we are level-headed. I agree 100%, but I'll be honest with you. We use that as an excuse. We use that as an excuse not to have faith. Yes, I agree. We don't want to go off the deep end and be too dream and not level-headed. But I'll be honest with you. If you look at where we are, we are a lot closer to this side than that side. And we stand on this side and we say, we don't want to fall off that edge. And we want to make sure that we don't have our head in the clouds. We use that as an, as an excuse because we don't believe. We use that as an excuse to have little faith. And we say, no, we'll be logical. 
No, no, no. I promise you. that w The problem in the world today isn't that people dream too much for God. The problem in the world today is people dream too little for God. And if you get to this point and you fall here, okay, I tell you, I'll, I'll bring you back in. But that isn't our problem. That's just an excuse. God likes dreamers. God likes people who push the limits a little bit. God likes people who have faith. Bible says without faith it is impossible to please him. Bible says that God likes it when people say, I believe in my God can achieve something big. You know, having a dream is another word for having faith. Because we're not talking about, I didn't say my dream for my life. I said God's dream for my life. Look around the room right here. Everything that you see here, everything that you see here at this church is a result of a vision from a long, long, long time ago. What I'm trying to say is the stuff that you see around here isn't stuff that is made up on the fly or happens randomly. A long, long time ago, there was a group of people who stood and said, you know what? I believe that the Orthodox Church, the Orthodox Church, which is, you know, the Orthodox Church, the Orthodox Church can be accessible to people who have no background in it. And it can be something not just accessible, but something that people enjoy and something that people look towards and see it as something attractive. The Orthodox Church can be attractive. Someone said that back here at a time when it wasn't attractive. Someone said, I believe it can be, and I believe that God is working. Someone stood up and said that I believe that a church doesn't have to always be, you know, what they say about, I go to church and people talk about it. I go to church and people talk about I believe it can be a church that doesn't have people to talk about them. I believe we can have something called authentic community. and People can really love each other. And, and that's not saying 100%. That's not saying you're not going to find one outlier somewhere who doesn't care about community. You'll find that everywhere you go. But I believe that there's a place that we can have real community, real depth in our relationships. I believe that we can create something on Sunday. And we can have something that people listen to on Sunday that will benefit them on Monday. And I believe in that. And someone said, I believe we can do something like that. Everything that you see around here started with a vision. And if any of those things have come true, then it's only because back then someone said, target on the wall. Hopefully you see more of those things coming too as we keep going. So my question to you is what do you dream about? What's the target on the wall for you? Where are you aiming towards? What's the goal? What's the goal? What's the goal this week? What's, what, what, what's, what's, what's the dream that you're building towards this week? Is the dream just to get to Friday? Hang out on Friday night? Hang out maybe some more on Saturday and then do the whole thing all over again? What's the dream that you're building towards? What's the dream that you're aiming? Well, at least that you're praying about. Maybe you're not even doing anything. But what is it you're hoping for in life? You know this Daniel plan. You know how this thing started. I told you all that at the beginning of the year, me, me personally, me personally, I set some goals for my life, and one of them was about my physical health because I felt that in a lot of ways God was asking me to do this, but I didn't have the energy. I didn't have the gas, not that kind of gas, like the gas, the fuel, okay? <laughs> I didn't have the fuel to be able to accomplish it, all right? I didn't have the fuel to be able to accomplish it. So I said, you know what? I needed to get this in better shape and all this together so that this could help this, could help this, could help this, could do all this kind of stuff. And I'm telling you, I set goals for myself that I told you at the beginning of the series. I'm shocked that I was able to accomplish them. I'm shocked that I was able to accomplish them. But you know what happens? There is great power to just throw a target up there on the wall and saying, by July 1st, I'm going to accomplish this. I'm telling you, even when you don't think you're doing anything, you're working towards it. Another example, actually one that's very fitting for this Sunday. This coming Saturday, all right, every year we do it this, at, at the church, like a, a, a group of, of like a group of us like the board and the staff and, you know, some people, we go away for like a vision retreat. 
and we try to set goals. So we did this last year, and we set three-year goals. Where the church, we were in 2013, where the church we wanted to be in 2016. Where we felt God wanted it to be. And I'm telling you, I was just reviewing it because we're, we're doing it again this coming Saturday. I was reviewing it. A lot of those things we talked about, we set goals, we did nothing about. We did nothing about. And then all of a sudden I'm looking back and saying, you know what? We accomplished this. We said this by 2016, we accomplished this now. We said this by 2016, we're, we're three quarters of the way there. Something, there's something powerful to just saying, I believe God wants to do this. And I'm telling you, even if you don't see God working in that way, you're going to look back one day and say, you know what? God worked. I didn't get 100% of it, but God worked mightily. Because having a goal or a dream is a statement of faith. And this particular piece of your spiritual life, dreaming and having faith, let me be honest right here. This piece of your spiritual life, you cannot outsource. You know, so many pieces of our spiritual life, we like to outsource. We get lazy. We don't want to read the Bible. We want to attend a Bible study. Did you read the Bible? Yeah, I attended a Bible study. I opened my Bible. There it is. We don't want to pray. We want to go to a prayer meeting. We don't want to pray. We want to go and attend a prayer meeting. We don't want to worship God on our own. We don't understand that. Maybe just go to church. Yeah, did you worship God? Yeah, I went to church. Did you worship God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? Yeah, I went to church. We outsource our spiritual. You can't outsource this. You cannot outsource faith. You cannot say, Father Anthony, give us a list of all the dreams and assign each one one. That's not how it works. I can't go to my wife and say, you're good at faith. You pray and say God's dream for my life. It doesn't work that way. God doesn't give me your dream. God gives me my dream or his dream for me. And you got to find your own. You, gotta, you can't outsource it or delegate it out or hope that it's going to come by accident. The other thing that you can't do is you can't copy and paste dreams. You can't say, oh, Father Anthony's dream was a good one. Let's, let's do that. I agree. Let, let's have that. That's why if you remember for the new year, for those of you here on New Year's, what we did on, on New Year's is we did like a promise for the church. All right. We got a promise for the church. We said this is going to be our church promise for the years. What God is promising our church for the year. But we also did individual promises. Because who am I to tell you God's promise for your life? Like, I mean, I'm a smart guy and all, but like, I, I can't tell you God's promise for your life. I'm struggling to figure out God's promise for my own life. I can't tell you that for you. You cannot copy and paste his promise to me for you. It doesn't work that way. And actually, if, you're on, if we're honest here, you want to know the reason why so many of us struggle with faith? You don't want to know why we struggle with this? Because that's exactly what we do. It's because we don't get personal promise from God. We're not setting personal dreams. We're just copying and pasting somebody else's. And if you, I said, I'm driving down and I got the tanker behind me. If you are meant to drive west, you're trying to follow me east because God told me east and you're supposed to be going west, then I'm telling you, you are always going to be stressed. You are always going to be tired. You are always, you're never going to have enough power because that's not what God asked you to do. And so many of us in life, we're trying to fulfill somebody else's mission. I'll tell you, even just with your career. I know a lot of people, every time I ask them about their job, they're stressed out at work. Every time, every time not like every time for a month, not like every time for a year. I'm talking about like every time for the past five years. How's work? Uh, it's stressful. Okay, at a certain point in time, you're doing the wrong thing. At some point in time, you got to realize you might not be in the right field. Don't nobody go quit their job because I just said that. <laughs> but what I'm saying is, if you are trying to do something that you are not made to do, you will always be stressed out. If you tell me, um, um, be an opera singer, that would be very stressful for me. <laughs> That's not my thing. 
okay? So as long as I'm trying to be in, uh, uh, no offense to my wife, my wife, if you tell her, you're playing in the NBA. That's God's dream for your life. You're playing National Basketball Association. She's four feet, 11 inches tall, okay? Just in case everybody knows, don't everybody know. If you tell her that and say, you have to accomplish this goal. This is God's dream for your life. This is going to be a very stressful experience for her. This is not going to be an easy thing. She'll always be stressed out. She'll always be tired. She'll always be overwhelmed. Because it's just, don't, don't go for that. I think you can do anything you want to do. I don't believe in that. I believe you can do what God wants you to do, and you could probably do other things, but you probably won't enjoy it. It probably won't be easy. You probably won't be very good at it. You know, I believe so much in this, in this principle, that God has a custom dream for all of us, and he has gifted us accordingly. God would never make us four foot eleven and ask us to play in the NBA. God would never give us my beautiful voice and ask me to be an opera singer. I believe in this so much that actually the next series that we're going to do after we finish the Daniel plan is going to be based on this idea. We're going to be talking about the strengths. We're going to have a fun series. It's going to be a two-week series where we're going to talk about how God made us all differently. And I'm going to challenge each one of you to discover your strengths in life. And we're going to take a little, uh, we're going to, I'll talk about when we get there. We're going to take a little, like, survey together. Each one's going to take it individually, I mean. But something we'll all do together. And it's going to tell us, you all heard of Clifton Strengths Finder? I'm sure many of you heard of it. We're going to do that together. And we're talking about how that fits into God's plan for our life. We know what our strengths are. But leave that. That's not for today. All right. What is for today is back to faith. Our first step is faith is believing God's dream. Now, I'm just going to go through this quickly because I don't want to spend too much time on this. I want to move, keep moving down on what faith is. But someone says, okay, what's God's dream? How do we discover God's dream? This is a big topic. This is vague. No, I'll give you three verses in the Bible. They give you three action steps, very practical, that you can do to discover God's dream for your life. First is based on Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. Which says, now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. Think of the biggest dream possible for your life. Think of the most amazing thing God can accomplish in your life. Go ahead. Pull out all the stops. Anything that you want. Anything that you could possibly dream of. And say, God, here it is. Here's the dream. And he looks at that and he says, God has to pull out the microscope for that. He that little dream, I can barely see it. Oh, is that it there? Oh, that's a cute little dream. That's your dream? It's a cute little dream. He's like, that dream? Man, put that on the side. Let me show you what a dream looks like. Because I'm telling you, I got dreams that are, I love this verse, exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we can ask or even think to ask. Do you see that? Not above what we can ask, what we can even think to ask. And not just above it, but abundantly above it. And not just abundantly above it, exceedingly abundantly above it. And I love how he says exceedingly abundantly. What's the difference between exceedingly and abundantly? What's the difference? I don't know. <laughs> There's no difference. This is his way of saying, you know, like when a kid, you say, uh, you know, I love you. No, I love you very much. No, I love you very, very much. No, I love you very, very, very much. That's what God is saying right here. I want to do more than you can ask. No more than you can think. No abundantly more than you can think. No exceedingly abundantly more than you can think or ask. That's what God is saying for his dream for our life. Sorry, I told you this. I told you it was coming out today. It's been holding me back for four weeks. <clears throat> the first characteristic or the first thing that we can do to see God's dream for our life is ask. Is ask. First thing we do is ask. Say, God, what's your dream? Not go to him and say, here's my dream. It's a nice little platter. No, 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 no. Ask. Hey, say, hey, God, this is what I was thinking. What's your dream for my life? You ever ask God that? You ever said, God, what's your dream for my life? What do you want to accomplish through me? 
what's your dream for my career? I know my dream. Be rich. But God, what's your dream? What's your dream for my relationship? This relationship. What's your dream? I know my dream. It's that we'd get married and we'd have, you know, 2.5 kids that have a picket fence and all that stuff. But God, what's your dream? What do you want to do with me and this person? What's your dream for Arlington? I know my dream for Arlington. And I know I got a big dream for Arlington. And then I read this verse. God says, no, you have no idea what I'm dreaming for Arlington. And I'm bringing, look who I'm bringing here. And I'm bringing all the soldiers. But I'm going to do something big in Arlington. <clears throat> Stop looking at your dream. Stop looking at who you are and presenting it to God as this is the dream. This is the plan. Stop looking at who you are because your dream is limited to your resources. Your dream is limited to your resources. You're looking at your Prius and the gas tank. You're saying, okay, this is my dream, how far I can make it. No, 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 no. Turn around, look at the gas tanker behind you, and then dream. And ask the guy who's driving that. Say, what's your dream? How far that we get? I guarantee you it'll be different. You find God's dream by asking. You find God's dream, number two, by after you ask, you believe. You believe his promises. Bible says, Jeremiah 32, 27, one of my favorite verses. Says, behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? This verse is actually not my fav- one of my favorite, but the same, pa- the same expression is from another passage also in, in Genesis chapter 18. All right, is anything too hard for the Lord? God is speaking to Abraham and Sarah. Actually, speaking to Abraham. And he goes to Abraham. At the time, Abraham is like 90. All right, and Sarah is pushing 70-something. And he goes to Abraham and he says, We're going to have a baby. Good news, Abraham. You're going to have a baby. And Abraham says, good one, God. God says, no, I'm I'm, I'm, I'm serious. You're going to have a baby. You're 90. You're going to be changing diaper suit. Elizabeth, 70. She's going to be bouncing the baby up pretty soon. So God told this to Abraham. So Abraham told Sarah. Sarah laughed. We all laughed. And then God sternly said, excuse me, is anything too hard for the Lord? That's what God said to him. And I think Abraham never forgot that sentence. After that, it's a simple question. It's a lot, it's not, this is not a faith question. This is a logic question. This is not faith. This is logic. If you believe in God, tell me where are the limits of God's power. Draw the line for me. Draw the line. Tell me what God cannot do. Like, these things are possible for him. And these things are impossible. Show me where that line is. Because you and me, logically, our belief in the existence of God means that we believe that he's unlimited. I believe that he's all-powerful. And there's nothing that's impossible for him. So next time you dream big and you say, God, give me your dream, and he draws you a big dream, then you, you don't say you can't. You don't say how. You don't say that stuff. You answer this question. Is anything too hard for the Lord? And you will discover that today's impossibility equals tomorrow's miracle. Today's impossibility equals tomorrow's miracle. There's a guy named Hudson Taylor. He was a missionary in China. And he said there's three stages to God's will in your life. Three stages to God's will. Impossible, possible, done. Three stages of God's will in your life. Impossible, possible, done. And I'm telling you, as I stand here today, and as you sit there today, we can both say that there are things happening today that at one point in time we said we'll never, ever happen. 
there are things that have happened in our lives that we have seen and witnessed with our eyes and our hands have touched that at some point in time, somebody, and it was probably us, said impossible, will never happen. And I'm telling you today, impossible, possible, done. End of story. Third characteristic. We ask, we believe, and we dream big. We don't dream small. We dream big. Because our dream is based not on our size, but on God's size. <clears throat> Psalm chapter 2, verse 8. God says, ask of me, and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. Tell me, what is God saying in that verse? Because sometimes we are so spiritual, so spiritual. Ask of me, and I'll make the nations your inheritance. And we come up with all kinds of funny meanings of what this means. Don't give me theology. Give me an English lesson. What is God saying right here? He's saying, I'm saying to you, you ask of me, the nations, I give it to you as inheritance. You ask for the ends of the earth, it's your possession. You know what he's saying? He's saying, ask for the world, and I'll give it to you. My fear, again, like I said in the beginning, God, how come you never? He's going to say, how come I never? How come you never? I told you in Psalm 2, you ask the nations, I give it to you as inheritance. You ask the ends of the world, I give it. You ask for the world, I give it to you. Because I'm God. You're asking for what your resources say you can take. I'm telling you, ask for what I can give. Don't ask for what you can provide. Ask for what I can provide. Don't let the size of your resources determine the size of your goal. Let the size of your God determine the size of your goal. We believe in a big God. And we believe in a big God who there's nothing impossible for him. And that's why we need to dream big. And the reason why I'm saying this, dream big. Important thing to understand here. When I say dream big, I don't mean <clears throat> set a goal that's big and that's it. Dreaming is an ongoing process. Because what's going to happen is you're going to dream big. You're going to say, God's going to accomplish this. Then you're going to take a step. And what's going to happen if you take that step? You'll fall flat on your face. Are you going to fall flat on your face? And you're going to say, oh, well, I must have misheard that dream. No, 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 no. Just because you dreamed and fell doesn't mean that the dream isn't true. Keep dreaming big and get up. And we're going to talk about that in a little bit, about persevering and persisting through. Keep on dreaming big. Because our God, like here's what I want you to write. Write this in your notes. Write no small dreams. Write that down. No small dreams. Our God does not know how to dream small. Asking him to dream small is, is not something that's in his vocabulary. No small dreams. God gives you a dream. The first step of God's dream is to give you, like, what he wants to do. And then, like I said, we take a step and we fall. But realize just because he gave you what, second step is he gives you how. So God gives you what? You say, okay, I'm going to go. And he says, no, no, no. I gave you what? But how is actually going to take this road? And there's so many examples in the Bible. If God gives someone a dream, we're going to do this. No, but we're going to go this way. We're just this. So we say, okay, I'm going to go this way. But then there's a third phase. After you get what, then you go how, then it's when. It's not necessarily now. And that's why, again, when we're dreaming, we're not just dreaming what God wants to do today or tomorrow. I read this one time. I don't know who said it. He said, we overestimate what we can do in a year, but we underestimate what we can do in 10. You ever heard that before? 
It's never more true than the life of faith. We overestimate what we want to accomplish in a year. We say, we can do this. But then when it comes to 10 years, 20, you can get a lot done if you're going to work on it for 20 years. You get a lot done in life. That's how we're dreaming. We're dreaming big. We're saying, what God wants to accomplish in my life, not just by the end of the week. What God wants to accomplish in my life, and I believe God wants to do this. And, and it might take a while, but that doesn't mean I'm ever going to stop dreaming big. Because my God is never going to become small, so why would I make my dream small? God's dreams, oftentimes, okay, you know like the scrolls that you open up, you, the scroll. So sometimes you ro- unroll the beginning, and you read the first line, and you say, oh, this is great. And you run out, and you start to do the dream. But no, 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 wait. There's more. That dream was just the first step. And there's more, and there's more, and there's more. We're going to dream big. We're going to dream long term, not just short term. Step number one is we believe God's dream for our life. Step number two, as I kind of alluded to right now, after we believe, then we have to take a step. We have to be willing to risk failure. Perfectionists are not going to like this. Planners, not going to like this. People, and I'm one of them, by the way, who don't like to take a step, Unless I'm sure I know exactly what's going to be that step, what's going to be the one after, and then the one after. Why take one step if you don't know the second step? That's how we think logically, but that's not how God works. You cannot go after a dream without taking a risk. And you know what? If there's no risk, if there's no risk of failure, then you know what? It's not really a dream. It's not really a dream. The Bible says this in Acts chapter 15, verse 26. It says, Barnabas and Paul... Men who have risked their lives for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Barnabas and Paul. We'll take Paul as one example. Who we read about the miracles that he did in his life. And actually for those who were at the liturgy this morning, actually we read about it. About how the handkerchiefs from his body did miracles. It's in Acts chapter 19. Paul had a disease of some sort. Okay, and they say he had like a disease in his eyes where, you know, like it would leak stuff. Don't ask me what the stuff is. Juices, fluids, I don't know what came out of it, okay? Diet soda, I don't know. But stuff came out, and he had sores and pus and stuff. Yucky. So they would have bandages around it. And then they would have to change those bandages. And what they say is, it's in the Bible, it's not something I'm making up. Acts chapter 19 says it. That the bandages, they would remove the bandages, they'd throw them on the table, and then someone walking by would run into the bandage and would find healing from the bandage. So the nasty... That's probably the nastiest way to get a miracle in life. Is the nasty, pus-filled, fluid-soaked, Diet Coke fluid stuff coming out of St. Paul's. Yuck! That stuff was doing miracles. Why? Because he dreamed big, and he was willing to risk his life in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm just going to ask a simple question. What have you ever risked the Lord Jesus Christ. What have you ever risked? What have you ever risked for your faith? I'm not saying jump into the Middle East and big sign that says, I'm a Christian, everyone kill me. I'm not saying it like that. What risk have you ever taken? If the risk is zero, then don't be surprised if the result is zero. A turtle only makes progress when it sticks its neck out. If you want to collect fruit from the tree, you got to go out on a limb sometimes because that's where the fruit is. And if you want God to work mightily in your life, man, sometimes you got to take a step. 
you got to be willing to risk failing. Me personally, this is not easy. This is the one I struggle with because I'm a planner. But you know what I discovered is the key to being able to risk failure? You need to redefine failure. We need to redefine what failure is. Failure is not, failure is not, not reaching the goal. That's not failure. Failure is not setting the goal. And when you redefine what failure is, it makes a difference. We have defined failure as if I set a goal and I don't get there, then I failed. But a wise man, a very wise scholar, once said, I can accept failing, but I cannot accept not trying. Anyone know who said that? Michael Jordan said that. Very good. Another wise man said, you never let the fear of striking out stop you from taking a swing. Anyone who said that? Babe Ruth. So there you got the two greats. Okay, you got the Peter and Paul of the sports world. All right, you got the two giant pillars. That says failure is not striking out or missing a shot. Failure is being too afraid to take the shot. Failure is being too afraid to step up to the plate and risk striking out. <clears throat> you're never a failure until you're quit. You're never a failure if you don't make your goal. You're a failure if you don't set your goal. If you sit on the bench and say, somebody else go take this shot because I'm too scared. I'm scared I'm going to miss, then you're a failure. Someone else go up to the plate and take a swing because I'm scared people are going to laugh at me, then you're a failure. The one who steps up to the plate and says, I believe, and now, now we're not talking about sports, now we're talking about faith. Say, I believe in God, and I believe God gave me a big goal, and I'm going to run, and I'm going to jump, and I'm going to see if I can get it. That person will never be a failure. The Bible even says a righteous man will fall seven times. So the Bible says in the book of Proverbs, a righteous man falls seven times. Falling is not failure. Failure is staying down. It's not trying because you're afraid. I always tell this to our, our church staff or those who are volunteering here in the church. I like failure because failure means you're doing something. And I always say we should have at least one big failure a month. I don't call it failure. We call it R&D, research and development. We're discovering what does not work, okay? That's the mentality that we need to have around here in this church. This is the mentality we need to have in our spiritual lives. It's not failure. It's research. It's investigation. Change the way you look at failure. Example from the Bible, from the book of Daniel, chapter 3. Once upon a time, there were three young guys. Y'all know their story. Three young guys, three saintly youth, whose name was Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These three guys lived in a country where the king was a pagan. His name was Nebuchadnezzar. He made a rule, and the rule said, when you hear me play the trumpet or when you hear the guy play the trumpet, you bow down to this big statue of me, and you worship the statue. And all the people in the land did it. Three guys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, we will not. We will not worship anyone but the true God in heaven. We will not bow to the statue. Nebuchadnezzar said, oh, I think you will. They said, no, we don't think we're going to. He said, no, I think you will. He said, oh, we're pretty sure about this. He said, I'm going to throw you in the furnace. And I'm going to throw you in the hottest furnace that you could ever imagine. You either bow or you die. Watch how they responded. If that is the case, this is risking failure. Watch this. If that is the case, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not... Let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. Y'all catch what they're saying? We have this idea in our head, and I don't know where it came from. May God forgive the person who put this idea in our head. That faith, that the saints, the martyrs, 
these people like this, they were threatened and said, we're going to kill you. And they said, we love that, and that's the best thing in the world, and we're not scared, and we're happy, and yes, Lord, don't take that. You know what they said? They said, we realize we might die here, but that isn't going to stop us from trying. We have this idea in our mind that the martyrs believe so much, and they have such great faith, that God would deliver them. Let me tell you a secret about the martyrs. Every one of them died in the end. Every one of them, that's what made the martyrs. They all got killed. We have this idea that these guys weren't, they were scared. Courage and faith is not not being scared. Courage and faith is saying, I'm terrified of this step, and there's a really good chance I die, but I'm willing to take a step of faith. That's what courage is. That's what life of faith is. You want to accomplish something big in life? Are you willing to fail? Are you willing to risk falling flat on your face? I'm going to speak personally. Don't, I'm just speaking personally because this is me. So don't, I'm not saying like I'm the greatest giant in the whole wide world. I'm not saying it like that. I'm saying me. I'm right now taking a step of faith. I'm willing to risk failure. And even the fact that I'm telling you this makes me afraid. I'm, and I keep go, I don't want to say this. Because once I say it, it's even more risk of more public failure. Now it's a risk of kind of like this kind of failure. I'm making it now risk of very public failure. And all the people who are watching this on the TV all over the world will tell me I'm a failure. Y'all know why I was off for the past three weeks? Why I wasn't uh, giving talks up here? God put something on my heart. Or I should say, God, I feel like God wants me to do something, which is write a book. All right, there, I said it. For the past three weeks, four weeks actually, um, I've been going four days a week, four and a half days a week, working on this writing of a book. I'm not very good at writing a book. <laughs> That's what I discovered very early on. I'm not very good at it. I've learned over the years to do this kind of thing and talk and jump and whatever. But talking is a lot different than writing. That's what I know. Especially when you're a perfectionist, it's a much big difference. And for me, I debated this for the longest time because of this risk of failure. Because the risk of failure in this operation is pretty large. I don't know how to write a book. I don't know anyone who wants to read a book that I wrote. So you have a problem right here. But what I just can't get around is God drew that circle up there. And told me, I think you can write a book. And that's why I'm saying this, this what and how and when. It's not always the same. I'm, I'm learning this myself. And God drew that picture. And I don't know what's going to happen through it. But I've decided that even if I fail, just like these guys said, even if I fail, I still am glad I did it. And I'm still 100% positive that even if not one person reads my book or not one person even says, if I go to the publisher and they say, this is the worst book ever in all the history of mankind. And they spit on the book. And they kick it to the curb and burn it right in front of me. Even if that happens, I will be 100% certain. I will go to my grave 100% certain that God wanted me to do that. And even if I fail. You know why? Because what I discovered is that sometimes the best things that ever, you'll ever do in life is through your failures. And that's why sometimes God draws the picture. And even if we fail, I can tell you 100 things that have come just out of this book writing experience. Number one, God has built my faith. 100%. And I have benefited more and learned more in the past three weeks about who I am. Book writing, uh, maybe one day I'll, I'll, I'll share more about this. It goes deep inside. Okay, and you have to face the demons that are in there. Because once it goes in print, it's there forever. And I learned a lot about myself. I learned a lot about God. I learned a lot about that sometimes, I always think of Abraham. Remember I said about Abraham, how God gave him a promise. He's going to build him, or he's going to give him a, a child. 
God said when he was approximately uh, 75, you're going to have a baby. And then he didn't give him the baby until he was 100 years old. So it was a 25-year process. And through this time, it wasn't like promise, wait, baby. It was promise, build faith, build faith, build faith, build faith, build faith, build faith, fall. Build faith, build faith, build faith, fall. Build faith, build faith, build faith. And for 24.99 years of Abraham's life, his faith was built from here to here. Whether the baby came or doesn't came, it doesn't matter. Whether the book comes or doesn't come, it doesn't matter. I'm a better person because of it. And I'm stronger in my relationship with God because of it. And I'll tell you the other thing that I learned personally, and you learned as well, is that I learned when I, I honestly think that if nothing comes of it, this might be the reason why God wanted to push me to the side to show you there's other people in this church who can come up here and do exactly what I do just as well as I did it, if not better than me. And God wanted to build that and show, say, Father Anthony, yeah, go uh, play with the book for a little bit. Okay, get out of the way. We're going to bring some other people up here and show that we have great people in this church all around. My point is, take a risk. Don't be afraid to fail. The same way that God wants us to grow in faith, the devil wants us to grow in fear. And fear and faith are opposed to one another. And I always tell people this when they come to me about a decision. I don't care what decision you make, but if fear is the guiding principle of your decision, it is wrong. It is wrong if fear is what is guiding you. If faith is guiding you to make that decision, I support you. I don't care about the decision. I care about the process. And if the process, if fear is what's guiding you, you never make a decision out of fear because that's from the devil. Where is it that you need to take a step of faith? Some of us, maybe God is calling you in your business or to start a business. Take a step of faith. Do something great. Single people, maybe God is telling you, ask her out. Don't be afraid if she says no. Someone else is going to say no if she says no. Don't worry. Ask her out. And then the ladies, maybe God's saying, say yes. Don't be afraid. Yeah, he may not be the greatest. He may not have the looks of, you know, but that's okay. Don't be afraid. Say yes. Take a chance. I'm not saying, don't nobody take what I'm saying and make a crazy decision. You pray about it. You think about it. You ask wise counselor. But I'm saying when it comes down to it, is it fear or is it faith? And if it's fear, you throw it away and you take a step of faith. The other thing that you never do, according to Galatians 6.4, is you never compare yourself with another. You never let fear guide, and you never compare, because comparison will make you not take risk of failure. The Bible says, Galatians 6, 4, each one of you should test his own actions. Then he can take pride in himself without comparing himself to somebody else. Do not compare your success to somebody else's, because only one of two things is going to happen. You're going to see that you're smarter than that guy, which will lead you to pride. But you're going to see that that guy is smarter than you, which will lead you to discouragement. No good comes from comparing. I discovered this. When I get up to heaven, God is not going to say, why weren't you the best priest in the whole wide world? God didn't make me to be the best priest in the whole wide world. Feel free to disagree. But God did not make me to be the best priest in the whole wide world. He made me to be the best priest that I can be. I'm not supposed to be better than him or better than him. I'm supposed to be the best that I can be. And God didn't make me to be a father like all the other fathers or a husband like all the other husbands or a speaker like all the other speakers. He's not going to ask me, how come you didn't accomplish what they accomplished? He's going to ask me, how come you didn't accomplish what I told you to accomplish? What I shaped you to do? What I gave you the strength to do? Don't ever compare with other people. Look at me and see what I want you to accomplish. We dream big. God's dream, we take a step. Number three, faith is 
expecting God to bless and use me. Now we're starting to put our money where our mouth is. We dreamed. We took a step. And I said we're willing to risk failure, but we don't go into it with any other expectation other than God will use me and bless me mightily. There's a story of a famous preacher, true story, who when he used to preach, he would go and preach to thousands. Every time he preached, every time, people, lives would be changed. Every time. Every time he preached, lives would be changed. People would would. would would cry and would repent and would, every time he preached. And then there was some young preacher guy who was new to the business. And he went to the, the older preacher guy. And he said, how is it that every single time you preach, people repent, people's lives are changed. 100% of the time, how is it? So the old preacher said to the young preacher, he said, well, you don't really expect that for you, Every time God would use you mightily, do you? You don't expect that every time God would work like that, do you? The young guy said, well, no. I mean, not every time. So the old preacher said, exactly. You don't expect it every time, do you? No, I don't expect it. Okay, exactly. Because the Bible is very clear. That God doesn't bless people who don't expect his blessing. God doesn't bless and use people who don't expect to be blessed and used. Philippians chapter 1, verse 20, St. Paul says this. He says, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, meaning that I will not be disappointed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. St. Paul is in a prison, and he's saying, look, whether I live or whether I die, I don't know what, I, I'm willing to risk anything, but I'm sure that whatever happens, God's going to use me mightily. I'm willing to write a book and say zero people are going to use it or are going to read it, but I'm sure God's going to use that mightily. If God has ever done anything in my life through me personally, if anything good has ever come out of this, it's only for one reason. It's because I believe in his power more than I believe in my own. And I believe, I don't believe, like, you think I, some people think that like, I'm just like, is it act or I'm joking? I, 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 I'm confident, but I don't believe a lot of things about me that a lot of other people believe about me. Because I know me, all right? And I, and I know what I really am. But what I also know is that I didn't sign up for this. He's the one who called me. And this is what I say to him. You called me. You asked me to do it. You're the one who has to do it. Like, I'm just going up there because you told me to do it, and I'm going to stand up here, and I'm going to say, our God is a great big God. And you're going to show people that you're a great big God because the Bible makes it clear. Matthew chapter 9, verse 29, according to your faith, let it be to you. You expect God to use you? If the answer is no, you are right. And if the answer is yes, you are right. I don't think God can use me. You're right. I don't think he can. You're 100% right because according to your faith, let it be to you. But the one who says, I believe. Even though I am nothing, that he is everything, you're right as well. You're more right. You're right or right or right. And that's what Jesus promised. Even outside of faith, even outside of faith, let's agree that our attitude, our mental attitude that we approach a task with makes a difference. There's something that I call, is my own personal term, is the eye of the tiger thing. All right, when we, in this past NBA finals, for those who are sports fans, we had the San Antonio Spurs 
going up against the mighty Miami Heat, two-time champion with the, the, the great LeBron James and all this kind of stuff. But the Spurs, and I predicted this. I predicted Spurs in five, just so everyone knows. I, and I predicted game one, they'd win. Game two, they'd lose, and they'd go. Then I predicted it. Why? Because what the Spurs had is something that he didn't have. You know what they had? They had the eye of the tiger. You know what the eye of the tiger is? That they got their hearts broken last year. They lost to the same team in the finals in a crushing way. So they had this 365 days of eye of the tiger, not eating their fingernails, ready to go after them. And they came out in game one, and they jumped on them, and they pounded them, and they beat them into the ground. That's the eye of the tiger. All right, coming from Rocky. That's coming from Rocky as well. But it's kind of spiritual, okay, that according to your faith, let it be to you. I'll give you another one. Who was it that said, forgive me, I, th- I don't know if it was Einstein, I don't know who said this, that nothing great is accomplished in life without enthusiasm. Who said that? Einstein? Einstein. We'll go with Einstein. Okay. Someone very smart said that nothing great in life is accomplished without enthusiasm. And it's saying the same thing here. What do you believe God is going to do in your life? And again, I'll play devil's advocate for those who are thinking it. What about pride and shouldn't we be humble and all this kind of stuff? Don't say that. Because again, we don't want to be proud, but we are so far away from that. We are so not faith and we worry, well, if I have faith, I'll be proud. Let's get over here, and then we'll deal with pride. Because you know what I noticed in life from personal experience? Is if you start walking toward, you don't think God has a thousand ways that he can humble you? Like you were so worried about falling off the edge of pride? Don't worry. God will humble you. Number one, are you married? If so, God will humble you. Okay? You got kids? God will really humble you. You got Twitter? You'll find bored people on Twitter. They will humble you very much. God has a thousand ways to humble you. Don't worry about being too much pride. Worry about being too little faith. Because it's much harder for God to build someone with faith than to humble that person later on. Don't worry about being humble. We use these things as excuses to not have faith. We dream big. We take a step. We expect God to work. And number four, we never give up. We never, ever give up. Because the life of faith is not a dream big today. Not a dream big tomorrow, man. The life of faith like I said, we underestimate what God will do, what we can, we overestimate what we can do in a year. We underestimate what God will do through 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, 40 years of our lives. I'll show you one of my favorite verses from the Bible. It comes from the book in the Old Testament called Habakkuk. Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 3, a verse that has gotten me personally through many, many a period of waiting. It says, for the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it will speak and it will not lie. Though it tarries, wait for it. Because it will surely come, it will not delay. You say, God promised, but he's delaying. No, you know what I discovered about God? He may not come right now, but he's never, ever a minute late. He's never been a minute late in his life. It may seem to you like delay, but that's just because you, maybe, you, maybe you're a little early. But God has never come a minute late a day in his life. I love this verse. This verse has gotten me personally through many a period of time where I wanted to give up, or I wanted to say it's not going to happen, or I wanted to say I can't do it. Let somebody else do it. And God says to me this, did I promise you? Yes, Lord. Is anything too hard for me? No, Lord. Then you stick with this verse. The vision is yet for an appointed time. It will not lie. It will speak. And though it may, del- though it may wait for a little bit, it will never, ever delay. We have a problem in the world today that we quit very easily. Forgive me, we are pathetic, 
when it comes to persistence and perseverance. We are so weak. You see it all around. Again, just I'm a sports guy. You see somebody, I'm not naming names, but I'll just name names, okay? You see somebody, oh, we're going to win a championship, we're going to win a championship. Okay, we didn't win in the two years, let's go join another team. Where did that come from? We don't give up. We don't go join up. We fight for it. Marriages, irreconcilable differences. Okay, how long were y'all married? Two years. Two years? Irreconcilable after two years? How is it after two years? Irre what's it? I don't even know what irreconcilable differences mean. On our honeymoon, we had irreconcilable differences. We went shopping for cereal. There's irreconcilable differences right there. I don't know what that means. You have a difference. You stick it out. You persist. You believe, and you get there. There's no such thing as irreconcilable differences. My kids, I'm teaching them this lesson. This is hard. Okay? I'm not going to do it. It's hard. What do you mean I'm not going to do it? It's hard. There's no such thing as I'm not going to do it. It's hard. It's hard means you're going to work harder. It's hard means you're going to try harder. There's no such thing as it's hard. We like hard things. Hard things make us strong. We don't try to lift weights. Oh, it's hard. That's the point. If it was easy, it wouldn't be very valuable. We've gotten this thing in our life of faith. It's hard. No such thing as it's hard. We will never give up. A wise man once said, the great people are just ordinary people with extraordinary determination. And I believe in that. I don't believe anyone in this room is greater than anyone else inherently. I believe those who will accomplish great things in life are those who have extraordinary determination. Not an extraordinary skill set, but extraordinary determination. Another quote that I heard one time. You can measure greatness by how much it takes to discourage you. You can measure greatness by what it takes, how much it takes to discourage you and make you quit. And I believe in that. Galatians chapter 6, verse 9, St. Paul says, Let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Whether it's this Daniel plan, really anything in life. Anything in life. In this Daniel plan, the goal of this Daniel plan, some people think the goal was to lose weight. Some people think the goal was to exercise. Goal to get us in life groups. Forgive me, this sounds bad. I don't care if you do any of those things. I don't care. Like, it's not like there's a, 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 a gym that's sponsoring me or finance. Like, I don't care. Whether you gain weight or lose weight, I couldn't care less. Whether you exercise, I don't care less. There's no skin off my back. But what I do believe very, very strongly is that God wants each of you to live a life of greatness. And I believe that with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. And I believe that for me and for you, that you will never live a life of greatness unless you get your life under control. And that means your body, your mind, your relationships, your spirits. You will never get anything great in life unless you get yourself under control in all these different aspects. You're never going to accomplish great in your life if you're always sick at home or you're at the doctor, if you're not physically healthy. You'll never accomplish great in your life if you're not mentally strong, mentally Daniel strong, and to talk about focus when we talk about that. If relationally, you're always by yourself, and you're always feeling lonely, and you don't feel like you have support. You'll never accomplish anything great in life if you don't have any of those things. The Daniel plan is not about any one particular thing. It's about being great. It's about not growing weary while we do good. For in due season, we know that we shall reap if we do not lose heart. I want to leave you all with this one verse. Matthew cha or, sorry, Mark chapter 9, verse 24. A story about a guy who wanted God to do a miracle in his life, but he struggled to believe. And he said, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Let's let this be our prayer. This is our prayer, people. This is our prayer. This is where we're going. We say, Lord, I believe, but I struggle. 
man, Father Anthony said I can do great. And I believe on Sunday, man, when I got to Monday, and by the time Tuesday or Wednesday, man, I believe that you want to do something great. And I believe it. I was going to take this step. And I was, like I said, I was going to ask her out. I was going to start that business. I was going to take this step of faith. I was going to do something. But then, let's let this be our prayer. Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. Because like I said in the beginning, you want to be blessed by God. You want to be used. You want to be great. You want to get to the end of your life. Don't think about what you want by next week. That's our problem is we, we sell out our future for tomorrow. I'm talking about when you get ready to go six feet under and they're getting ready to write on your tombstone, your epitat, whatever it was I learned it last week. Epitat, epitat, epitat. The thing on your tombstone. When they're getting ready to write that thing for you, I wanted to say not that he quit easy and not that he lived a comfortable life. I want to say he lived a great life. And there's a man, God did great things in his life. And people say, how? They say, simple. Because he believed in a great big God. He dreamed big. He took a step and risked failure. He expected God to use him. And he didn't give up all the days of his life. Let's stand up together and say a prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Lord, all of us are saying with one heart that we believe we believe our lives were not made to be ordinary. Lord, you came into this world to give us ordinary people an extraordinary life. You came to make great things out of us weak and sinful people. Lord, we believe not in our own power, but we believe in your mighty power. And we believe that with you all things are possible. I pray, Lord, that you would strengthen our faith. That you would not let the world to beat us down in our faith and to make us cynical. But help us to believe that with you all things are possible. Pray for every single person who's bowing their head, bowing their heart, that you'd fill them with a supernatural faith, that you can do great things in their lives, in their relationship, in their work, in everything that they do. We pray this in the name of your Son, with the prayers and intercessions of all your saints. Hear us as we pray thankfully. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Sorry I ran late this week. Like I said, I've been holding back for four weeks. Next week we'll get back on time with the schedule. Have a great week, guys.